Welcome to Hot Plate, the conversations you should be having about your food and drink. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. This week on The Hot Plate, the fifth taste, first responder baking, an odd thing to use in a dark room, and crushing it on Weird Widget. Today, I wanted to talk about umami. Yes. It's a topic that's often on my mind and that comes up again and again with my sensory work. Uh, Okay, okay, okay. I love this. And of course, you know what umami is, but for our listeners or for those of our listeners who might need some background information, I'll just provide some context here. let's hear it. Yes. So when we're talking about umami, we're talking about a fifth taste. Yes. I'm going to take a further step back here. When we experience food or beverage, when we experience flavors, most of what we're experiencing, of course, comes um, from what we're smelling, right? From the olfactory. So that's anything that's uh, citrus or chocolate Mm -hmm. or berry. What else is delicious? Or or like roasted caramelization and stuff, right? caramel. That's all perceived by our nose. When we're talking about the five tastes, we're talking about what can be perceived by our tongue specifically. Okay, that's important. Thank you. And that's sweet, salty, sour, bitter. Yes, and umami, and umami, which is this fifth flavor. I did a little digging, and this fifth flavor was discovered in Japan in the beginning of the 1900s. It was around 1907, 1908. Right. And we here mm. in the West completely ignored it till about the 80s. And to oh, it this was, day... It was even as far back as the 80s. I even, thought, I even thought it was more recent than that. Well, in the 80s, there was a group... That was formed to bring it to the table, oh, like a team pro umami awareness campaign. So nice. No, I, I agree with you. It's much more recent, and I would argue that it's still an an issue. Often, I'm teaching sensory, and it's easier to leave umami out than it is oh, yeah, to introduce it when we're talking about flavors, because people don't know what it is, and it's incredibly hard. To explain what it is. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I get that. And for a while, I was really beating myself up about, like, why can I not explain what umami is? Sure. The, you know, the shortcut people will say is, it's the savory flavor, yes, right? Yes, totally. But then if you stop and think about it, how do you explain sweet? If you have to yeah. put sweet into words. Yep. It's just a taste that people know. Mm-hmm. And it's instinctive. Yep. It, you know, how do you explain bitter? If I have to ex- explain to you bitter. I cannot explain to you bitter no, unless I give right. you put a bitter food in, in your mouth and say that feeling that you're feeling right there on your tongue, that's the bitterness. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, umami is very, very difficult for people to wrap their brains around. Right. I, I guess it's also because it's not salty. If you had to explain umami to someone, have you ever mm-hmm. had to explain Often, it to them? Yes. So what, what route do you usually take? I uh, I will confess I have taken the uh, savory, not salty route. Okay. Right? And the way I best describe it, and so I'll back up a little bit and tell you mm-hmm. that when I cook, when I write recipes, uh, I like to cook uh, and focus on great mouthfuls of food. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, I like, I build mouthfuls of food, texture, flavor, you know what I mean? All that sort of nuance. And to me, what I love about umami is that it fills what I call that open space. Yes, absolutely. Right? There's Mm -hmm. an open space. And even we know, like, there's a lot of debate about whether the whole zones on the tongue is a real thing or not. But the idea is that the umami is that, like, middle back 
right. of the tongue. And and I really firmly believe when you eat a balanced mouthful that contains umami, you can feel that part of your tongue being sort of addressed or satisfied or, you know what I mean, even engaged. Interesting. There is some science yeah. behind that. A lot of people theorize that umami uh, adds to the feeling of being full. Yes. Or Satisfaction, the feeling of being right? satiated. There it is. When I describe it, I call it the yum factor because let's face it. Yeah, for sure. Things that have umami in them are yummy. They really are. Like, um, let's rattle some off. Stuff with umami in it. Uh, good Parmesan cheese. The aged Parmesan right? with those intense notes. That's it. Uh, <sighs> some great earthy mushrooms. Yes. Right. Aged Green. steak. Aged steak. Oh, oh. nice one. Because, yeah. Oh, anchovies. Mm-hmm. Are my favorite anchovies. The ultimate. And speaking of fish, uh, fish sauce. Fish sauce. Yeah. Right. And it's it's that funkiness. Oh. Right. It's not saltiness. Right. It's because not. soy will take care of that. Right. In that it's not saltiness. It's a little bit it's a little bit funky. But it serves the same purpose because it's an added yum. Right. Yes. If you take in terms just, of flavor building. Uh, uh, right. Yeah, uh, yes. Just a plain food. You add a little bit of salt. It'll add some yum. It's right. the same thing with uh, I guess you would say with sugar for some people. Yeah. Uh, like Coca-Cola. Right. Uh, but, um, but umami fills that same uh, right. gap miso, miso without being as salty. Right. <gasps> miso. Right. And it really does fill that open space. Oh, balsamic vinegar. Very nice one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm also thinking about sherry vinegar. Yes. Right. It has that little funkiness to it. That's very delightful. Oh, now we're talking funky. Kimchi. Does kimchi have yeah, umami in it? I th- yeah, well, that explains everything, for sure. doesn't Both it? Both the funk and the fish <laughs> sauce are happening in the kimchi, right? Both yes. the clay pot action that's happening and that, yeah, kimchi. And all of those kind of glorious fermented things. Yes. Right? Fermented pickles have a different vibe. It's like, it's not just briny, it's not just salty. It also has that fermenting gives that other space, that umami space, right? It's funky. My feeling is that caramelization also brings in some umami. It it brings in some sugar for sure, but it brings that savory umami character. If you caramelize onions, for example, you get that deeper Mm -hmm. intensity. That Uh, is very different from its original state. Yes. Right? It's a completely different beast. There's a mushroom too. Not so much a raw mushroom. No. That umami is a salted mushroom. Mm -hmm. Just yesterday, in fact, I was making a peanut salad dressing, like a peanut noodle dressing, Mm -hmm. but I'm making it for vegans. um, And I was trying to find something to fill that space because I would have put fish sauce in there. Right. Right. And I was like all the soy and lime and all these other things. But I was like, I have this open space. So finally I went with miso and it instantly did the job. Right. Right. It was so beautiful. I was just like, yes, that is exactly what we needed. I mean, I identify it right away. And for me, it's a visceral sensation. I get the mm-hmm. chills down my spine. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. if it's umami rich, yeah. Um. Mm. And so I would really like to be able to communicate this to people more. And I think we need to make a more concerted effort to uh, communicate this taste to right. people. And to include it in our descriptions more. Yes. Right? I guess that's the thing. Umami needs a bit more time in the sun. Here's the other interesting thing Tell about me. umami. Is when I do very basic taste training, I do it in water. So I'll have, you know, five cups of water. Oh, like suspensions of things. And so one will have salt in it, and that's salty. (laughs) One will have sugar in it, and it's sweet. Yep. One of them will have citric acid in it, and it's sour. And one of them will usually have caffeine in it, and that's 
bitter. Oh, and that's okay. I wondered what you used. Okay. The umami one is, of course, MSG. Oh, uh, yes. Which opens yes. Thank another you for bringing can that of worms. Up. Yes. <laughs> it really is such a can of worms. Right? And there's such fierce opinions on both sides of that argument. Yes. Right? And I feel myself torn because the chef inside of me is like, it really does make taste everything a little bit, make everything taste a little bit better. Absolutely does. It really does. It, it is something, though, it's interesting that this thing that is this flavor that we know so little about is also uh, symbolized by this thing that is so contentious. It's horrible. I think it was actually called Chinese Restaurant Syndrome. That was oh. a horrible, horrible name for it. Oh. And this was based on some literature from the 60s. A gentleman who reported this, uh, you know, noticing these symptoms after going to a Chinese restaurant hmm. with no connection to the MSG. Okay. And then okay. they did these incredibly unscientific studies. I read right. an article. Essentially, they fed people like food without MSG. And then they said, okay, this one has MSG in it. Do you feel different eating this Come one? Come on. <laughs> Hello, science. Um, so, of okay. course, of course, they reported all these wild, sure. you know, symptoms. Variables not this, controlled. And then later on, they did further studies and they found that these people who were, you know, reactive to MSG did not react to it when they didn't know they were consuming it. <laughs> oh, man. I think once right. that idea is in there, nice. it just, it permeates. It really does, like some sort of broken telephone, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something so delicious. It is so delicious. So vilified. All right. I like it. I feel like I'm going to make conscious effort to to be umami forward, <laughs> right? Me With too. my mouthfuls and the ta- and the conversation. Let's 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 try it. Let's make a follow pact. up and see what and see how we do. Sounds good. Team umami. Joshna, yes. What do you have for us today? Okay, something that is uh, a bit au courant, uh, right? It is. It is. A, I like the little flash in there. Merci. Merci. Uh, so I have a pal of mine who just casually tossed out this notion that she has been doing first responder baking. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which, and I was like, tell me more. Please. Uh, right. And she lives in the US and she is saying that in response to sort of politics and current events and the warming planet and all of the things, she is baking as a stress relief. Okay. Right. Which makes easy sense because baking has always been a stress relief for me. But she's also just sort of found herself a bit compulsively baking pies and having them at the ready to fire out to give to her people. So they can do some comfort eating. This is it, right? It's just like, I'm this is person. the EMS. <laughs> this is sort of emergency system that needs to be, it's like that soothing comfort needs to be sent out like blackjack cards at a table, right? Uh, and I was like, I like, I love this. I love so much about this, right? The, there is, I feel, a renaissance in baking, largely thanks to our wonderful friends across the pond and the Great British Bake Off. right. Because it's just the most magical thing. Uh, I'm a deep, deep fan. And we have a Canadian version we now, do, right? We do, which is also wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sweetest thing is that there are Nanaimo bars and butter tarts on the menu, Aww. which is wonderful and sweet. With no raisins, I hope. Oh, no. no. No raisins. No. We're getting sidetracked. Yeah. <laughs> but this notion of baking uh, as, as a response to the state of the world uh, mm-hmm. is something that I really want to talk about. I have just finished writing... A book, or the majority of my manuscript has been submitted. Thank you. Uh, but I, but in between moments or at, at night, uh, I would bake. 
almost like almost like, compulsively, right? Really? One is to do something different with my body, right? The hunch over the computer was sort of intense, but I was like, I need to, I need to not speak and not think about, you know, making compelling arguments for rebuilding institutions, you know, and just like flour, butter, sugar. Uh, and I just was thinking about this mm-hmm. and thought I'd make a list of all the things that I made. And there's like almost a dozen things on this list. Really? Yes. All right, let's hear it. Okay. I made a cheesy anchovy bread. I'll have that. Right? Yes. Uh, I, I, uh, I made a spelt Irish soda bread. Uh, I made these Viennese whirls, which is like a piped whipped shortbread with buttercream and strawberry jam. That sounds like a lot of work. It is. Okay. It was one of the technical challenges mm-hmm. on the Bake Off. And there are these moments when I watch it and I think, I'm a pro. Could I even pull that off? Mm-hmm. Right? Because they have two hours and they have to make puff pastry from scratch and all this sort of intensity. It's interesting that yes. you should say that comment. I'm yes. a pro. Can I pull that off? I have a confession to make. Yeah, let's hear it. I hate baking. Really? <laughs> tell me this, why. It makes sense. I understand it, but tell me what for you it is. It gets deeper, though. Okay. Um, this is a big confession for me. Oof, I'm ready. Thank you. Because I hate brewing beer. Oh, you do. I do. Oh, my God. That's such a nice piece of juice about you. So when I started in the industry, one yeah. of the first things I did was dive into brewing beer. Sure I thought, oh, I love yeah. Cooking, love cooking. Okay. I do all my own home repairs. I alter or dye right, right. most of my clothing. I'm very much, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a visual artist. You'll make a thing. I get in yeah, there. You'll make a thing, sure. And I started brewing and I hated it. What did you And hate? I was so upset. Right. And I called my sure. best friend because that's what best friends are for. Of course. And she said, Right, but you also hate baking. And I realized. Okay, tell me. I'm a tinkerer. Uh, when I cook. Yeah. I yeah, will totally. add a few things, that makes then sense. I'll taste, then yep. I'll, um, you know, when I'm making my clothes, I'll, right. you know, I'll cut it a little bit, then I'll and try see it how on, the today's pin mood it, fits. and then, right. you know, I, you know, I tinker mm-hmm. along the way. Mm-hmm. So for both brewing and baking, the idea of making something and then having to wait yes. to see if it turns yes. out and having, you know, very little control in that moment, unless you're really experienced. Yep. Right. You mm-hmm. don't know how it's going to turn out with brewing. It's even worse. At least baking is less than a day. A hundred percent. Breaking is like half an hour, an hour. Exactly. And although I'm really scientifically minded, for some reason, that precise scientific oh, I, aspect. I'm with you. That makes sense. And um, the idea of, you know, I spent all day for, you know, not all day, but a good amount of time putting together the ingredients for this cake yes. and so on and so forth. And I put it in and I get it slightly wrong and the, you know, the middle is mushy and, and then I have to start over. I can't yes. adjust. No, you can't. There's a point of no return once you put that thing in the oven, right? Yes. Yes. So what I need to hear from you is <laughs> how is baking relaxing? <laughs> I'm not feeling so, it. <laughs> there's, I will tell you, there's two things. Uh, because I'm, I am a rare person. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I have the right job where I actually like both cooking and baking. Okay. Right. Because generally speaking, we say that people, cooks are, are people who don't like rules. Okay. Right. Yes. And don't like being confined. Right. Okay. And you can always tinker with something on the stove. Yes. Right. Whereas bakers are rule followers. Okay. Right. Whereas I don't always fancy myself a rule follower, but I really like the reliability and predictability, right? Understanding that a few weird bits may occur, but generally speaking, if you follow these instructions and do this thing, the same result right. will show up. Certainly again people and I again, know right? who are experienced bakers, yep. they can throw the recipe out the window. They you know, it's yep. you, once you're into the zen, that's it. 
but there is room but to play. Also, there is room to play. But there is, even when you're not there, mm-hmm. if you do the right measurements mm-hmm. and pour it all and grease the pan and set the timer, you'll pretty much get the thing. Right? With baking? Yes. Mm, well, it depends, you, it, it depends how on your the oven runs. There's all of that. Uh, if it's in the yes. right corner of the oven, you know, yes. one corner is burnt and then the... Totally oh, hot spots and you don't know God about them it. and you should go in and I turn, but don't so leave much. the oven open for too long. <laughs> yes. So I will say to you that mm-hmm. one of the things that I love about baking is precisely this thing that you hate. Okay. Right? I actually love the fact that there comes a point mm-hmm. where I have to step back and let go. Right. My skin is crawling. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Right. Because to me, that's that's sort of a metaphor for life. Right. I can I can do my all my good intentions, all my beautiful organic flour, blah, blah, blah. I put it in my nice, you know, my beautiful pans and Mm -hmm. all the things are happening. But then who knows? Right. I'm going to put that thing in there. I'm going to set a timer and then I'll open that oven and see what happens. I actually brought a little something here, and it's Ooh. the easiest, simplest chocolate cake. I like I chocolate. I think chocolate cake, right? Mm-hmm. I think chocolate cake does a lovely job of soothing the spirit mm-hmm. when necessary. So this is quite simple, and it's just no stand mixer, none of that nonsense. You have a bowl of wet ingredients, a bowl of dry ingredients, add the wet to the dry, in a greased pan, in the oven, set a timer, you're done. How long? Uh, 20 to 25 minutes. I can do that. Right? Yes. Under an hour, you have a chocolate cake. Sounds good. All right. Sounds good. We'll post this recipe uh, on social media for to share it with the others, because I'm sure maybe our listeners are also excited. Sounds good. Then right? I can have it written down a little you bit can easier. Have it, exactly. Okay, we'll, do we'll a put little it on down. Instagram. We'll put it on Instagram, um, and we will offer up the delightful comfort of a delicious chocolate cake. The next thing I wanted to talk about today Uh is a little bit silly. Okay. It's silly. Okay. It's an article that hit my radar a couple of days ago. And there is a brewery in the U.S. that Mm -hmm. has partnered with Kodak to create a beer. Our friends at Kodak. That you can use to develop film. Whoa. So you take this beer. You degas it. You add some vitamin C and something called uh, washing powder. Okay. Which I've never heard of before. Fair enough. No, washing soda. So it's not baking soda. It's slightly different. Add that in there. Add a little water. Turn off the lights. And voila. If you happen to have film in the house. (laughs) Well, this, I mean, there's a lot of questions here, right? You can develop your film in this beer. Okay. So they intentionally, like... Do you, any, do you have any more information about the genesis of this? They, well, here's the thing. I dug in a little deeper and you can, de- you can develop film with any beer. Okay. Um, so apparently the brewery, their do- it's Dogfish Head. They were creating this beer that had some acidity to it. I think the acidity is a critical component. Right. And they happened right. to be in conversation with some camera people and realized that this was a thing and thought, hey, let's call this beer i think it's called super eight and um well played it's marketed in this fashion with a little poster that you can use as your instructions to develop film with beer and i don't know it just it just bothered me a bit there's a whole thing with beer all these different ways you can use Beers, right? I'm sure you've heard you can use it as a shampoo or conditioner. Yes, yes. It's great for catching slugs in the garden. It has all these... Uh, beer is delicious. I, I can see your skeptical face, 
Slugs know beer is delicious. <laughs> okay, that's they will where come you to the beer. Going. They can come You're to like, the beer. No, it entices them. It, it will Perfect. entice everything. Perfect. Yes. Um, and I guess if you take a step back and think, okay, fine. That's great. At the end of a party, I have little half bottles of beer everywhere and there's things I can do with it. Right. So from a, you know, no zero waste perspective, that's fantastic. <laughs> but, yes. but to brew a beer specifically for this, I mean, what are you saying about beer as a beverage? Yeah, right. I okay. I like that because it, are we talk. Is this the same argument that it, that has that I discourage the the use of growing food for fuel or to make spoons and napkins? We're like, no, no, no. Yeah. Food should just be eaten for sure, and beer should just be drank. Like, it's just delicious. There, it. <laughs> and, and I mean, look. There's a there's a series of questions in my mind. Uh, who is who needs to develop film? By themselves. <laughs> what, like, tell me about this burgeoning demographic. Right. Right? That somehow is taking photos this way and needs to develop their film. Two, uh, did this show up as some sort of uh, drunken necessity? Did somebody have a role Just of film in a pinch? That they were like, I gotta see what's on this film. And they, and they, you know what I mean? They're like, we don't have a dark room. We don't have any of this. However, we do have this six pack of beer. Well, you know what's interesting? I think it may be less necessity and perhaps the adventurous nature of people who develop film. I don't know if you remember a okay. while back there was a story about someone developing film in Lake Ontario back when it was super oh, polluted. Yes, you remember I do that? I remember that, of course. And then, you know, because I was a little offended by the whole, you know, why, why are people doing this with beer with thing? Beer, sure. I dug a little deeper and found out that there's entire clubs that develop film with coffee. That's a thing. That's a very common thing. Wow. And fun fact, and I'm going to go ahead and brag about this. I don't know if it's something to brag about. Amazing. But they have tried to develop film with wine, and it yeah. doesn't work because it gives it, it like a bit of a pinkish, odd oh, tinge. So sorry, wine. Beer, beer is better than wine. Oh, <laughs> nice one. Okay, so here's a question. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could drink the beer after you have developed film with it? Interesting. Like, can you pour it from the tray into a glass? Are any of the things that you have to add in toxic? Washing soda feels quite friendly. Well, vitamin C is fine. You have, remember, degassed the beer. Right. And oh. diluted it greatly with a lot of water. I wonder... Oh, you really have. There's a, a, it's, it's well diluted? Yeah, you have to add water. Okay. And I don't know about washing soda. I mean, right. it's distinct from baking soda, mm -hmm. which makes me think perhaps it's not great. And there's another and, sort. There's another agent in there that's doing something. And the other thing is, you know, you're putting the film in, and part of the developing process is disintegrating some of what's in the actual film, the gelatin. Uh, so yes. I don't know if okay. I would. Right. So this so this beer is explicitly used for this. Yeah. I mean, I guess you you buy two and you drink one and <laughs> use the other one. Nice. I don't know. Nice. Who has a dark room? No one. Like that's, and then you the trays and the tongs and the clothesline and the red light and the, it feels like a lot. That's true. That's true. It's. I don't think this solving the liquid is really the biggest. <laughs> no, <laughs> the biggest there's issue. a larger context Just here. Just use coffee. <laughs> we didn't need a special beer for that. For this you know what? club. That's a perfect segue into the last thing I came across in researching this, which mm -hmm. I think is actually cool and a bit of a an interesting spin on the situation. And it is this gentleman, I believe, in... He's Swiss. He's a Swiss okay. photographer. And he's put together a series of portraits 
of brewers in Europe. So he'll take a picture okay. of a brewer and then develop the picture of that brewer with a beer that that brewer uh, made. Okay, I love that. See, that's art. That is art. It's interesting. And, and it's community and it's sweet and it's interesting. Oh, and I'm you in. look at the different photos and you can tell that you know, the process was different. The chemicals were different because the beers thing. were different. And in a couple of months, he's exhibiting actually at Berlin Beer Week. Oh, great. Yeah, we oh, should share fantastic. that link on social media. We should do that. Sounds good. It, uh, it's something I think I would like to see. And I was looking at some of the pictures and some mm. of my friends are in there. So, Oh, that's great. kind of warm and fuzzy. Oh, I've, I've, this really turned around on this idea. I feel like that is really sweet. Time for a weird widget. What do you got, Joshna? So I have this curious implement. Let's call it an implement. Hmm, look uh, at that. Right? It is a tool, clearly a hand tool. Yes, right? it looks a bit like a uh, pestle. Yep, a lot Except like a pestle. not at all because it has blades. Uh, it has. It has sort of, it has uh, Three? six. Oh, six, yeah. Six. A uh, little sort of bladed angles. And if you just look at it straight on, the shape is a little bell like. It's a bell. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, what else can we talk about? There's sort of, I guess, stainless steel on with the With a wooden blades. handle. This looks antique. Is right. It, it is. I found it in an antique shop in the old Prince Edward County. Did you know what it was when you saw it or did you have to ask? I did know what it was. So you've, you've heard of them before. I have. I have. Just, just a very beautiful version of this. A uh, so, key move here to recognize is that the the bottom of these blade bits actually curve up a tiny little bit. So it's not flat. Right? It's, it's not meant to flat. to be used. Right? There potentially is some for rocking. rocking motion that can happen. So to me, this use. is clearly for some kind of chopping, mm-hmm. but that's all I got. Mm-hmm. So yeah, is totally it to it. chop something specific? Nuts. 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 Okay. Chopping nuts. It's a nut chopper. And it's better than a knife? I like it better than a knife because um, because those little rounded edges mm-hmm. let you chop nuts in the bowl, right? Right, which to me is just easier because you always scrape them off the board into mm-hmm. a bowl anyway. So if we could just start on the bowl, yes. and then not leaving a nutty residue on the board, yes, right, that would be super helpful. However, the thing that I like most about this is that. Because of the way it chops, because of this awesome sort of like six-way blade scenario, you don't get that like almost pasty, crumbly stuff that happens when you use a knife on a board. Can I see? Did you bring some nuts? Did you? Yeah, 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 I got them. You did? I got them here. You're going to try it out. Cool. Right? I got these beautiful walnuts to start with. Uh, you're gonna try Gorgeous. it. You to go oh, for I'm it. doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I want you to feel it. So, um, so that little so crumbling back and forth. Just yeah, you can go in and then rock back and forth. Um, this is oddly satisfying. It is right because you just really want to break up. It just, <laughs> it does the it a bit. meat of those nuts. You just want to. Yeah, they're a really nice size. Yeah, they're great. So we're thinking about cookies or squares or things. And whenever you do this with a knife on a board, you have to always accept. That there's some really powdery stuff on the bottom. I feel like that's it. Yeah. I got it. It's quite easy and quite deep. One, there's one more. There you go. Right. So uh, it's it. I felt it quite satisfying. I'm delighted that you feel the same way. Here's the thing, though. Talk to me. I know you have a rule with your kitchen gadgets. I do. That you don't like to buy anything that only has one purpose. Mm -hmm. Is this Mm -hmm. your exception? 
Or it, have you found other uses? It originally was, would have been because okay. I think it's just so beautiful and I love the antiqueness of it. And it really, it really does its job. Right, yes. it does a job. I can see that. But I thought, um, even with an unexperienced hand, right? Yes. But I thought, what could happen here could easily happen with something like seeds or chocolate. Ooh, let's try chocolate. Okay, so I brought some chocolate, and we're just—I'm just breaking it up. So these in, are chocolate squares. It's just like a bar. It's a bar of chocolate, right? Oh, there's some Ooh, sort is of that chili. See, there's some raspberry something oh. happening. There it is. Okay. Okay. So, there it is. We haven't done it. Now we're just going to not even think about the cross-contamination. Um, That's let's okay. See. We're the not First time. First time. I have, not, I have not done this. Okay. It's, it's sticking Ooh. a little bit. It is sticking a little bit. Uh, but we... It, oh, no. Oh. The pieces are nice, though. The pieces are nice. It does a it good job. It is crumbling. Job. It, uh, it, it is crumbling and it does a reasonable job of just splitting something in it, but it's not uh, this. I need to have a sort of aggressive attitude yeah. about this, whereas there was a joy yeah. to breaking those walnuts apart. It's not better apart. than a knife. This is not context, better than a knife. This context. is not better than a knife. But so you would um, buy it anyway, though. Yeah, I, I just I think it performs very well. And I was when I uh, I just used it last night and marveled that I love just pulling the bowl and this thing out and no knife and a board. And it is a satisfying feeling. It is. Down. right When it gets through it. Uh, yes. Yeah, so single use, single purpose, but it does it so well that it stays. So for you, it's a yes. yes. I think for me, it would be a no because I don't eat enough nuts there it that is. I need to crack that way. But I might just get it because it's cool. <laughs> it does look good. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hot Plate Pod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you to Joshna for joining us today. Hot Plate is recorded at Eggplant Picture and Sound Studios. Our audio engineer is Brad Tigwell. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. That's a wrap. 